Keepers of the Kingdom Vacation Bible School, focused on the armor of God, also known as the gospel armor. As Mike mentioned, we had 330 roughly kids here this week, along with another almost 150 volunteers. Uh, Again, just exciting to be here and to be a part and and just to be able to uh, watch God at work here. So I want to thank all of you that... uh, that took vacation, those of you that are, took, took time off work to come and be a part, I want to thank you for that. And, and you guys that were here, uh, I just can't tell you what a, what a big difference that makes um, to, to have the men of our church come and, and be a part of something so spectacular. So uh, the, keepers, uh, the, the Keepers of the Kingdom was centered around a well-known passage from uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. The imagery of this passage has been the inspiration for so many great hymns. One we sang this morning, A Mighty Fortress. Also, songs like uh, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus, Onward Christian Soldiers. Uh, The list goes on. Uh, Also, too, of the uh, Armor of God or the Gospel Armor lesson has fueled many a great lesson, a storybook, video or or home uh, resources, flannel graphs, if I can date myself with that one. Um, even, uh, even you know, children's study books, etc. How about this? Any uh, kids, anybody from the uh, kids of the 90s who had a Armor of God play set? Raise your hand. Yeah, we had a couple. Yeah, we went through a bunch at our house. We were rough on those Armor of God play sets. But they had the, the sword and the helmet and the shield. They were very cool. So, uh, I want to start us with some context, just so we know what's happening in the book of Ephesians, so we're not just jumping into a text out of context. But the book of Ephesians, Paul is explaining how the church corporately and individually uh, comes to full spiritual maturity in Christ. The first part describes the good news of what God has done. It's the uh, chapters 1 through 3. The second section gives us instructions on how to live in light of those blessings, chapters 4 and 5. And then uh, we are commanded to stand firm in the face of any and all hardships in chapter 6, where Paul closes the letter, I'm teaching us how to deal with the evil influences and satanic forces of this world. Um, And Paul bases uh, his teaching there heavily on the imagery that's found throughout the book of Isaiah. So if you would, stand with me now for the reading of God's word. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the power is all yours. We thank you that the battle belongs to you. We praise you because you are mighty. You're mighty to save. And you have already promised us. You have already claimed. You have already won the victory over all of this. 
Lord, I pray that we would be strengthened through your word and by the power of your spirit this morning so that when we see the enemy, we can and we will stand firm in your strength. Lord, I pray that you would um, now use your words to encourage us that are doing well, convict us in the areas that you want us to be growing so that we would glorify you by becoming more like your son, Jesus Christ, each and every day. Lord, open our ears that we would hear speak to our hearts that we would want to change to be more like your glorious son. And it's in his name we pray these things. Amen. All right, so here we have a passage that deserves a lengthy, I'm sorry, please be seated. Thank you. Um, Here we have a passage that deserves a lengthy, thorough series, a couple of lessons on being strong in the Lord um, and spiritual warfare, at least a lesson apiece on the gospel armor, and then an additional few lessons on prayer. A few summers ago, Nathan uh, spent a month going through this. He did a fabulous job, a more in-depth job. I would encourage you to go back and listen through the the church's website. Um, Check it out online. But for today, because um, we just have the one Sunday to look at this, we're going to do an overview of the armor, but then we're going to go back and look closely at just one piece. So let's go to the text. Uh, Verse 10. Finally, finally it starts. Be strong in the Lord. This is an imperative. It's a command that's been written in the passive voice that could be um, translated as be strengthened or be made strong. So that sounds like not much of a nuance, but there are actually two different things. We could translate this word two separate ways. I just want to share with you this. If you've sat in an adult Bible fellowship with me ever, you know that I oftentimes will say how much I love Paul's writing style. I don't read Greek, so I'm not able to fully appreciate it, but I see through commentary and through um, translation software and different things how Paul is so clever in the way that he writes. Um, He uses words or phrases that can be either or all the time. Um, He's excellent with all his writing tools. He loves to use words that sound like almost the same word but mean completely opposite things. Um, He's not afraid of... uh, of being firm and direct, and he's also not afraid of being loving and fatherly. Um, Every once in a while, he throws in some strong language, uh, occasionally even a little sarcasm. I just love his writing style. I think, uh, you know, he's such a clever communicator, such a a brilliant communicator. So here he's going to be illustrating this. He's he's going to not be using an either-or, meaning like be strong uh, as a uh, be strengthened or as be made strong, but he's going to use it as a both and. And so often this is what he does. He takes a word that could mean two different things, and instead of picking this or picking that, he says we're going to use it to mean both. We're going to see that repeatedly today in this text, both and. So here um, Paul is illustrating that the Christian who is truly standing firm is doing so with the proper combination of divine enabling and with human cooperation. Listen, finally, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might. It's not in our strength. Our strivings would be losing, as we just saw, as we just sung. We we have no strength. The only strength that we have comes from him. So he says, be strong. He directs us to be strong, which is what we have to choose to do. But he says then, but in the might of God, in the might of, of God's or in the strength of the Lord. So again, he illustrates that um, there's a, a divine enabling as well as a human cooperation here together. Paul calls us to action, reminding us that the power for this action comes from above, and it is the strength of God's might, 
not our might. We can't stand firm without the power of God, and we will not stand firm if we're not resolved to do so. God's not going to make us do that. The passive voice here also um, represents an ongoing, um, a sense of ongoingness, that we're not made strong once and for all, but rather we are made strong, and it's an ongoing thing. Um, The strengthening is not just a one-time thing. So finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And now, and now, how are we supposed to do this? Verse 11, by putting on the whole armor of God. So the whole or complete armor of God. God provides the armor, and it is complete. It is perfect. It is everything that we need, but we must put it on. We must put it on. Think this way. If I were to uh, give you a call and say, hey, it's Craig. And I want to buy you all new clothes. In fact, I, you know, give me your list of everything you need. And you send me a list of clothes that's this long. And, and, and because I'm so generous, I even buy you this many clothes. And we load your closet up with them. But what do you still have to do? You, kneel, you still need to choose them and put them on. Well, likewise this. God's not going to make us do any of these things. We need to choose to put them on. So how are we going to do this? How are we going to um, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might? We're going to put on the complete armor of God that he provides to us. And again, we must put it on. He goes on to say this. Well, why do we need this armor? Verse 11, the second part. So that we may be able to stand against the schemes or the wiles of the devil, depending on your translation. Stand here is is an important word, but we'll come back to that in a moment. Um, So what are these schemes or wiles? You know that I love that, the word wiles, you know, not one we use often, but it sounds so much more devious than schemes. And that's exactly what we're talking about when we're talking about the devil. He uses these, does these things to trick us, to fool us. Um, The devil rarely walks in and says, hey, Christian people, I'm the devil and let's go do this now. You know, no, it's never that overt. It's always, it's always, um, it's always um, devious. It's always cloaked. It's, it's secret. It's tricky. Um, all those things. And the devil has been doing this for a long time. He's been doing this for a very long time. So he's quite good at it. And, you know, as smart and clever as we think we are, um, yeah, we're not. So, uh, again, we have to be on guard. We need to be strong in the Lord. We need to put on the whole armor of God that we would be able to stand against the schemes of the devil um, our struggle, and, and he goes on to say this, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Okay, our struggle is not against people. Our struggle is not against the people who have fallen into non-biblical worldly ideologies. It's not against communists or capitalists, conservatives or liberals, uh, agnostic, agnostics or atheists, uh, or, or victims of other false teachings, other false religions. That's not who the battle is with. The battle is not against the people in the LGBTQ community. The the battle is not against people who are are fooled and believe that abortion is right. The battle is not against the Democratic Party. The battle is not against Joe Biden, believe it or not. These people are just pawns in a larger battle. These people are just pawns in Satan's big scheme. They are just flesh and blood. So if not them, then who then? Look at verse 12 again. The war is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers uh, over this, pre- the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This wrestling, this struggle, the battle is between Satan and his demons and God and his angels. 
This is a battle between good and evil, and this is a battle that has been going on for millennia, possibly uh, predating even uh, creation. But this is a battle that, is, that rages on. Uh, here are some ways that Satan does this. Here's some of the ways Satan gets a, a foothold. He and his demons influence the world's way of thinking. They set up false systems of beliefs. Also, they use the world's systems and ideologies, um, even to, to tempt, to try us, to fool us even. They use pop culture. They tempt people into sin. They tempt us into sin. Um, the devil is always looking for cracks. He's seeking to undermine the church through division. The devil is sneaky. He and his team are good at what they do, and they've been practicing, practicing evil for a long time. Uh, here's comfort, though, for us. Uh, let me remind us that the Lord wins. God wins. Scripture tells us over, uh, over and over that the battle belongs to the Lord. Um, Revelation 11.15 states clearly, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So be at peace, brothers and sisters. The battle is already won. In the meantime, though, this other war rages on. The battle is won, but the the skirmish continues. Maybe it would be uh, something that appeals to you if you have a military background. The skirmish continues, but the battle, the war is won. Um, Let's look at verse 13 together. Therefore, because all of this stuff is going on, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, stand firm. So I'm not really sure exactly what Paul means by the evil day, but I think that we would all agree that today's days are evil. Amen? Amen. Are they more evil than than a thousand years ago? I don't know, but they're more evil than they were when I was a kid, which was a while ago. And they're more evil than many of you when you were kids. And they're certainly more evil than they were even just a few years ago, even if you're younger. So we can look and see the days are evil. Is that what Paul means? I don't know. But we do know that the battle rages on. So we still are told to stand firm. We're not sure exactly what Paul means by evil days. So let's focus on the imperative that he's giving us here, the direction that he's giving. He's reemphasizing that God's people must intentionally take up or put on the complete armor that God provides. Then he says, having done all, having done everything that we can do. I think that's really an important part. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor, repeating that, that you may be able to withstand, again, standing against in the evil day, having done all. Again, that's our part in this, that we do have a part in all of this. Um, We need to be doing all that we can do. And I would just challenge you, my first challenge for us, myself included today, as you're really doing all that you can do in terms of your walk with the Lord. I know we always say, I'm doing, well, you know, I I did the best I could, or, you know, well, I don't know what else I could have done. I think we all know what we're not doing and what we could be doing. So our first challenge, are we do, have we done all? Well, we need to do our part. We need to make every effort. We need to be diligent. We need to be prepared for the battle because the battle is coming really more likely. The truth is it's already here. Paul uses the word stand three more times, and we're going to see it another time beyond this. And his point is this. There's no retreat. This, these, um, these battle boots we're going to see later um, had long spikes in them, and they were meant to march into place and to stand firm, not to, to go, not to, to uh, chase after, not to retreat from, but rather to stand firm and do battle. 
And that's exactly um, what, what Paul is saying here as he continues to say, stand, stand, stand. There's no retreat. There's no going to look for a fight. We're just standing firm because the fight will come to you. So what exactly are these six pieces of the gospel armor? Let's go back to the text. 14. Stand, therefore, once again, having fastened on the belt of truth. So that first piece is the belt of truth. I know for most when we, you know, for us today, when we hear the word belt, we think fashion. We're not thinking in terms of like function so much other than maybe if you're a fireman or a policeman or or you're in the military, you would maybe think more that way. But um, when a Roman soldier heard the word belt, he thought function. I love the translation, gird up your loins, because that's, that's a call to action. So the, uh, the Roman soldier would have been wearing a tunic, maybe like a big, um, almost like a poncho. And so in that, you know, hanging around the camp, it was all loose. It was, um, it was free-flowing. He was able to move freely and easily. But then when, the, when the, battle call, the battle cry came, the battle call came, they girded up their loins. They took and they methodically wrapped, folded, and bunched it up and turned it into something that they could go into close-quarter combat with that they could fight with, that they could function with. So when he says, you know, um, uh, put on the belt of truth, he's, he's using the, the uh, imagery of preparing. So here's one of those. Here we go. Here's the Pauline and um, both and of this one. The, the girding took the soldier's loose-fitting tunic. It tucked it in tight in preparation for battle. The word used for truth can be translated as truth, but it's often also, or it's also often used to say truthfulness or integrity. So we have truth, like eternal truth, and then we have truthfulness or the living out of truth, integrity. So it can mean either. Well, Pauline is giving us another both end. What he's saying is, is that we need to fill ourselves with the truth of God's word so that we can commit to sincere, honest, truth-filled lives. It helps us be ready for the battle. How about the next piece? 14 again, 14b. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So righteousness here refers to an ethical quality. You know, the way we choose to live our lives. You know, that this this is written, the the soldier here is already saved. The the soldier here is already a believer. So this isn't a a helmet of self, or a a breastplate of righteousness um, that is a salvific or saving righteousness, We already have that. He's talking about put on the breastplate of righteousness. So he's talking about um, the character, righteous character. Righteousness here refers to ethical quality, the way we choose to live our lives. We are basically called to imitate the righteous character of God himself. The duality or the both end of this uh, righteousness is this, saying no to sin and cultivating a life of holiness. God says, be ye holy. Why? Because I am holy. That's his t- that's, so that's um, Paul's point here. Um, we are not going to be cultivating that life of holiness, um, though, unless we, are first ex- we first experience the gift of God's righteousness that is received through faith in Jesus Christ, Romans 5. So, again, it's to both end. There's both pieces. There's the, the um, being saved part of the gospel here, and there's the I'm already saved, living out my life part of the gospel here. They both, they both coexist here. Next are the shoes of peace, but that's the piece of armor I'd like to come back with and and really dig into a little bit. So let's jump ahead to verse 16. Verse 16, and I love this, is take note of when we are to use this piece of armor. In all circumstances, 
take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming darts of the evil one. So here's the shield of faith. Um, It doesn't look like, the shield that Paul is talking about here does not look like the shield that came in our uh, Armor of God 1990s play sets. It's not little and round or shaped like a, a badge. This is the kind of shield that you see in those gladiator movies that are three feet wide and four or five feet tall that are the size of a door. Um, they're the kind when the, when the uh, centurion yells out, shield wall, they all um, stand in a line next to one another and they form a barrier. Then the second group of guys come in with their shields on top and now any flaming arrows, and that's what they're battling, they're battling flaming arrows and, and fiery debris that's being hurled upon them, um, they're safe under these shields. So Paul uses that kind of a shield to tell us um, to take up the shield of faith. Um, the both end of the shield of faith would be this, the basic faith that, um, uh, and the confidence of what um, God is doing, trusting in God, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he promises, um, and that he's going to do along the way in our lives. But it's also the faith in Jesus Christ that brings us into a saving relationship with him. So again, it's a both and. It's, it's not an either or. So Paul tells us if we're planning on being victorious in the battle, that at all times, in all circumstances, we need to be wielding or using the shield of faith. In 17, Paul says, take up the helmet of salvation. Again, we're already saved. He's talking to believers. So what does he mean here? He's not talking about getting saved. He's talking about being saved. Putting on the helmet is living out God's salvation with confidence, the confidence that God holds um, his salvation and secures it. It is not our salvation. It is God's salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord who sits on the throne. It's his. We can't lose our salvation, so we don't hold it. So the helmet of salvation is confidence and knowing that God, he who has begun a good work in us, is faithful to complete that good work. The helmet of salvation protects our thinking and our mind, and it has to do with um, confidence in the Lord. 17, part B, he goes on and says, and finally, um, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So now out of all the armor that's been mentioned, this is the only piece that can clearly be used for attack as well as for defense. The type of battle this double-edged um, weapon would be primarily used for is close quarters. See, this is one of those short little, um, short little battle swords um, that are short and stubby, not the tall... Um, not the tall, big, monstrous ones that oftentimes we see in film, but rather a short one that was used in close quarters. Um, It was um, primarily used for um, offense, but it also could be used for defense. So according to Paul's teaching here, the truth of Scripture, God's Word, is the only weapon needed to defensively fend off Satan's attacks and the only offensive weapon necessary for destroying the enemy's scheme. So again, we see that dual purpose here, though, in the way that they translate this word truth. Uh, or I'm sorry, this, tru- this word, the word. Um, Paul uses a different word here than the one that's usually translated Bible, logos. Here he uses um, a word that's more commonly used um, to refer to the spoken word. Like we would see this in Matthew 4. When Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, he's responding, he's fighting off the wiles of Satan, um, during the 40 days uh, of uh, fasting in the wilderness. And Jesus responds to Satan, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The both end here would be this. 
in battle, we need to know the truth of God's word so that we can speak the truth of God's word. Not doling out our feelings, our opinions, our good ideas, but speaking the truth of scripture. So Paul then continues on in verse 18, um, saying, praying at all times in the spirit, praying accordance to what God's desires um, with all prayer and supplication. Uh, He kind of talks about prayer here like uh, he doesn't name it as one of the weapons, but the way he adds it in and incorporates it kind of reminds me of the ongoing training that we would have in the military or ongoing training that we would see when we're in a service organization, military, police, etc. We we continue to train because there's always something new. We need to stay fresh. We need to stay ready. So he, he treats prayer as that boot camp um, or ongoing training. So it's not a, a piece of the armor, but it's still a part of the armor imagery here. So, uh, and then he goes on to, again, give this great lesson on prayer that I would love to to be able to share another time. That's a quick overview of the five, uh, the five of the six pieces of the gospel armor. And I'll tell you why, where I just fell in love with this idea of the gospel armor, um, even though, um, as Paul says here, he calls it the armor of God. In this passage, it's referred to as gospel armor elsewhere. But we came across this little, um, just this little devotional, uh, full of nuggets, this great little book. And uh, in it, the writer... Uh, Milton Vincent equates the gospel of salvation to the gospel armor. And it just validates the duality of all of Paul's imagery where he says, you know, the truth. Well, it's the truth unto salvation, but it's also the truth in sanctification. It's, it's this here and it's that there, but it's, it's a both and. Listen to uh, Milton's writing here, or Vincent's writing, pardon me. As long as I am inside the gospel... I experience all the protection I need from the powers of evil that rage against me. It is for this reason that the Bible tells me to take up and put on the whole armor of God. And the pieces of armor it tells me to put on are all merely synonyms for the gospel. Translated literally from the Greek, the weapons are the salvation, the justification, truth, the gospel of peace, the faith, and the word of God. What are all these expressions but various ways of describing the gospel? Therefore, if I wish to stand victorious in Jesus, I must do as the songwriters suggest, put on the gospel armor, each piece put on with prayer. From stand up, stand up for Jesus. Without that God would tell me to take up and put on this gospel armor alerts me to the fact that I do not automatically come into each day protected by the gospel. In fact, These commands imply that I am vulnerable to defeat and injury unless I seize upon the gospel, and I arm myself with it from head to toe. And what better way is there to do this than to preach the gospel to myself and make it the obsession of my heart, the obsession of my heart throughout each day. I love that Puritan uh, phrase, preach the gospel to ourselves. Um, So that's why I love that so much. I love the gospel armor. But now I'd like to go back and take a look at verse 15 together with you and talk about um, the, uh, the shoes of peace. As he says here, it's the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So um, the shoes that he's talking about here, as I mentioned, are nail-studded. The, the word translates war boot, uh, more, more specifically, not so much shoe. 
and um, they are studded cleats that were made for traction so that the soldier wearing them could march into battle, stand firm, not flee, not pursue, but stand firm. Um, The lesson here is clear. It's the peace that comes to us and through the gospel that makes us ready to stand firm when the enemy approaches. It's where we, we garner our strength. The both and that we're going to see in the, in the scripture here is this, that the gospel brings us peace with God, but it also can be translated the peace of God. So peace with God is what those who are not in a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ need. The peace of God is those of us who are walking with the Lord need. The peace of God versus peace with God. So you see the, the, the difference between the two. What's the difference? In Romans 5, 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified or saved by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So if, if you're not in a right relationship with God, you have no hope for this peace. And I, I have good news for you as well. So uh, don't, don't leave and don't be in despair. Um, if you're not in a relationship um, with him, we can, we can remedy that today. But once you are in a relationship with the Lord, we should have peace with God. The peace of God is that personal peace that Jesus Christ had when he walked on this earth. And it's the same peace that he gives to us. It's the same peace that he expects us to have. He tells us, Jesus says, I came that you would have life and you would have life abundant. That that life abundant is is meant to be now. That's for today. That's not just eternal life. That's that's the both and of, of now and then, of now and forever. Um, Jesus exemplified this peace as he walked on this earth. Um, He said so um, at at the uh, Last Supper. Um, When he was dining with his his apostles, he said to them, and consequently to us, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. John 14, 27. It's the same peace that Jesus knew as he slept through the storm out on the sea, um, as he just it meant nothing to him. It was a peace that comes from God. It's a, a peace that surpasses all understanding. It's the same peace that gave Christ the strength to go to the cross for you and I, for us. Peace, this peace is not just a happiness. Um, the world convolutes the two. They are not the same. Um, this is not just happiness. Um, it's not happiness about the things that have happened, happiness over our relationships, happiness about our circumstances, happiness with our possessions. What we're talking about here is a perfect peace, and we're going to see that reference in Scripture in just a moment. A perfect peace, it's a tranquility. It's a quietness of spirit that can only come from God. So the pastors of our church are blessed with so many opportunities to meet with so many so many of, of your church family, so, uh, so many opportunities to biblically counsel with so many um, here. But a common thing that we see is a lack of personal peace, a lack of the personal peace of God. We see that lack of peace manifest itself in so many different ways. Just some of the, the most obvious ways, anxiety, discontentment, even depression. We see the lack of peace of God in marriages. See the lack of peace of God in parenting relationships, and in other relationships, brothers and sisters in the body. Um, Maybe some of you here today are not experiencing the peace of God. Well, God's word has the answer for you if you are God's people. So let's take a look at what God says in scripture. Turn with me um, to Isaiah 26, verse 3. 
It's a verse we use often in counseling. It's a powerful verse. Look at that with me. You keep him. The you here, by the way, is God. The him would be us. It says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Goes on to say in verse four, trust in the Lord Yahweh. It's all, uh, an all cap lock here. Trust in the Lord Yahweh f- forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. So as I mentioned, the you here is God, the him there is us. Um, what kind of peace? What kind of peace is it? It's a perfect peace. Well, of course it's perfect. Why is it perfect? Because it comes from God. Of course it's perfect. Um, and God is the one who keeps it. it. says, you keep him in perfect peace. God keeps that peace for us. We, we don't have to worry. Um, God is the one who keeps us in peace. And then in verse 4, um, Isaiah goes on to t- show us the character of God so that we know that we can trust him, so that we know that, that we can have this peace and that we can trust that God will keep us in this peace. So how do we get this perfect peace? How do we get it? Well, the answer is right there. You see it. Perfect peace for those who, whose mind is stayed on you. We need to stay or focus our minds on God. And then consequently, we will trust him. Um, When we think consistently and biblically about the Lord, we're going to grow in our trust for him. The two, um, you're not going to be constantly focused on the Lord, consistently thinking and biblically thinking about God, and then go, yeah, but I just don't trust him. If If you are his, this is going to lead you to trust him more. So we need to focus on God and not on the peace. And that's where I find us, you know, find all of us, myself included, most often um, going awry. I'm seeking peace instead of seeking the Lord. Does that make sense? We're seeking after the the gift instead of seeking after to worship the giver. We need to focus on God and not on the peace that he gives. Um, The focus of our meditations need to be God himself. As, As Vincent said in that little devotional, what we need to make God in the gospel, his, uh, or his gospel, our obsession, our preoccupation. Jesus says this while addressing the lack of God's perfect peace during the Sermon on the Mount, talking to all these people on the hillside. He said, if you're anxious, then you need to seek first the kingdom of God. And this is Matthew six thirty-three. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then the, all the other things will be added to you. God's promises, Christ's promises is focus on God and, and the things that are important to him. And he will take care of all the other stuff. All the other things will be added unto you. They'll be taken care of. So as, as we look at this, this is, we, we see that, that peace, the peace of God comes from him, but the, battle, the battlefield for, for that peace is, is in our heart and in our mind. Um, this is, you know, we, we see, in fact, go ahead and bring that Isaiah passage back up again, if you would. whose mind is stayed on you. It says, where's the battlefield? Where is this going on? Our minds are stayed on you. So it's important that we are wise with what we do with our thinking, with what we do with with, um, the eyes of our soul, what we let in, the gateway uh, to to our hearts as well as our minds, our our hearts, our thinking. Um, 2 Corinthians 10.5 tells us to take every thought captive to obey Christ. Take every thought captive to obey Christ. So as we talk about peace, it's important to realize that they all go together, that our mind, our thoughts, 
our thought life, it's all intertwined with our peace with God. So what are we doing here? Taking every thought captive to obey Christ. What does your thought life look like? Um, the peace of God and your thought life are interconnected. So what does uh, your thought life look like? What do, you, what do you think on during the day? What do you do? Where does your mind go when you're not intentionally focused on something? Where, where do you drift? Um, Romans 12, 2. Paul writes, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Are you renewing your mind through a preoccupation with the Lord, meditation on the Lord? Are you studying scripture? Are you praying? Or are you spending more time with the influences of this world? Are you being conformed to the world because you are giving them the bulk of your, of your thought time, of your thought life? Are you spending more time with the influences of this world, allowing them to conform you and rob you of God's peace. And, and I want to talk about it for a moment. Um, I was so convicted by this as I was preparing this last week. I was so convicted by this because it isn't a matter of, is it just, well, no, Pastor Craig, I'm, the, the things I am doing are not sinful, bad, or wrong. No, but are they the things of the Lord? Are they, are they thoughts that draw you nearer to him? Are they thoughts that cause you to reflect on him and to bur- burst forth into worship? you know, into doxologies of, you know, how great are you, God? Uh, oh, how I love you. Or are they the things that we just fill our mind with? Um, I love the, the uh, Charlotte Mason uh, teaching curriculum calls it twaddle, garbage, things that are of no or ill consequence. What are we filling our minds with? Um, I, I'm going to go hard first on this one. Well, I'm not looking at things that are sinful, bad, or wrong, but I'm doom scrolling for hours at a time. Sorry, sinful, bad, or wrong, but are they things that are drawing us near the Lord? My conviction did not come from my phone. My conviction came from the television set, probably because I'm older. But I just looked and thought, how do I have time to watch a couple of shows? And I'm very busy, but somehow I find time to watch a couple of shows. Not bad shows, not not sinful shows, not things that are are are. are tempting me or challenge me. There are things, though, that are tempting me and challenging me because they're drawing me away from what is supposed to be the object of my affection, my Lord and Savior. So I would just encourage you this way and say this. Take a look. Do a spiritual evaluation. What does it look like when you put your, your, uh, your daily calendar onto the, your Google calendar onto the scales of time? How much time are, are you really conscientiously, intentionally giving to the Lord versus how much time are you filling your life with twaddle, with garbage, with things that don't draw you near to him? And then make some adjustments. Repent. Ask the Lord to, to forgive you and strengthen you that you would choose him, choose the ways of him. We go on. Colossians and Ephesians, they both talk about putting off and putting on. Um, are you putting off worldly sinful thinking and putting on the truth of God's word? In John 15, 5, we see Jesus' simple answer to what this should look like. In John 15, uh, 15 5, Jesus, uh, most likely walking through a vineyard with his disciples, uh, decides to share this lesson with them. Simple lesson. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. 
We don't need to be farmers to understand that analogy. If I have a, if I have a apple tree and I have a branch on that apple tree that I only slap onto the tree for an hour on Sunday, maybe an hour midweek and then half hour or so every morning, how much fruit am I going to bear? How much fruit is my tree going to bear? It's going to bear none. So it says, if you want to see fruit, if you want to experience fruit, then you need to be connected to me. You need to be remaining in me. You need to be spending your time with me. And then I love this. What are the fruit? Um, Paul writes in Galatians, he says, here's what the fruit is. The fruit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, uh, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you are lacking joy and peace, again, I would just challenge you to, to do a spiritual evaluation and see, where am I at in terms of abiding in the Lord, staying my mind on him? I believe that all Christians want the peace of God. And I know that God wants us to have the peace of God, or peace, yeah, the peace of God. Jesus, again, said, you know, I came that you would have abundant life. My peace I give to you. Um, It comes down to this. Are we willing to pursue it? Are we willing to pursue it? Brothers and sisters, um, are we willing to do what it takes to experience God's peace? God's calling you to peace with him today. He's calling you to the abundant life right now. So I, again, I would just say this. As we go, be challenged, um, be challenged, be encouraged. But I don't care where you're at. Maybe you are already at peace with the Lord. Um, fiery darts and arrows are coming, so be prepared. Maybe you're not at peace with the Lord, and today you've heard some things that sound like they might be helpful, but I need to know more. We would like to share more. Brothers and sisters, we should be at peace with God. We should be experiencing the peace of God. So um, been talking about the gospel, gospel armor, been talking about the good news of Jesus Christ, the peace of God. Earlier I mentioned peace with God. Um, so the things we've been talking about here are all um, God's gift to his people, for his people. So maybe you're here today and you do not have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Maybe you are here today and you'd like to become one of God's people. It's really simple. just want to share this with you. I want to tell you all about it. God loves you and he wants you to experience the peace and life that he offers. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's John three sixteen, probably Bible verse that everyone here knows. Um, But there's a problem, and it wouldn't be right to share that with you exclusively without telling you that there's a problem. Being at peace with God is not automatic. By nature, we are all separated from God. We are born separated from God. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God is holy. We, We are not. God is holy, and we're human, so we don't measure up to his perfect standard. Um, We are sinful. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. Eternal separation from God. So that's bad news. Uh, be, Be of good cheer, though. There is good news. There's no good news without bad news. That's the bad news. Here's good news. God's love bridges the gap of separation between you and him. When Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the grave, he paid the penalty for not only your sins, my sins. The Bible says that he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. For by his wounds, you have been healed, First Peter. So we need to respond to that today. There need to be a response to that.
if you are not already in a right relationship with the Father. Um, You can cross that bridge into God's family when you accept Christ's free gift of salvation. The Bible says, but as many of you received him to to them, he gave the right to become the children of God, John 1, 12. Um, So here's what we need to do, though, if we're going to receive Christ. It isn't so, this isn't about isn't about uh, praying a prayer of rote words or walking the aisle. We're, we're not going to do that. What it is, it's a matter of admitting that you're a sinner, that you're a sinner who cannot save himself, herself. You're a sinner and you need a savior. Jesus Christ is the only savior. He is the only way, the way, the truth, and the life. So we're going to ask him for forgiveness and then be willing to turn away from our sins. That's called repentance, turning away from our sin and saying about our sin what God says about our sin. It's wrong. He hates it. We're going to believe that Christ died and paid the price that we could never pay when he, when he gave himself on the cross. And then we're going to invite Christ to be the Savior of our heart and the Lord of our life. Romans 10.13 says this, Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Um, if today is the day that you are being prompted by the Holy Spirit because that's the only way you're going to do this and that's your your heart is telling you because the Spirit is speaking to you saying, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you are going to be calling on the name of the Lord. I would love to meet with you after. I would love to talk with you and we can share more and hear more about all of this with Scripture. Um, but t- today might be that day for you and I pray that it is. I hope that this has been helpful for you. I hope that it's been challenging. Again, as I say these things, I say them out of my own conviction. I'm preaching to myself first and sharing this with you second. When you see me, please love me enough to hold me accountable to what I've said here today. Hey, Craig, how's the whole TV thing going on? How's the whole uh, entertainment Bible, you know, time with God? How you doing, bruh? You know, we're going to spend eternity together. Jesus Christ died for each and every one of us here. Um, He loves us and has called us into community, into a family here together. Love me enough to ask me. Love me enough to challenge me. And love one another enough to do the same. We, we need to get over this whole idea of, hey, how you doing? Oh, good, me too, fine, thanks. But rather, you know, to say, I love you and I care. Do you have a moment? Let's close in prayer here and ask the Lord to, to convict us, to search, um, that we would search our hearts, that we would respond to him, and that... Uh, that we would be motivated because wherever we are at, we are not close enough while we walk on this earth. Lord, um, we come to you. Father, we bring those to you that, that maybe uh, don't know you yet. And Lord, and pray that this is the day of salvation. Lord, you are sovereign over salvation and you will um, call who you call when you call them, Lord. And we trust in that. But Father, for those that may be hearing from you today, Lord, I, I pray that they would respond and say yes. Father, I pray too for um, us as brothers and sisters, Lord, for those of us that do know you, that we would love each other enough to, uh, to be honest and open and to, to challenge and to encourage, to, to be brave and to be willing to, to ask the hard questions or, or share the hard truths, Lord, that, but we would do so in love. Father, I pray too for us as, as individuals, Lord, um, that we would, um, we would desire to grow in our commitment to you, Lord, that we would want to be more like your son, Jesus Christ, each and every day, and that we only would do that by knowing you better, Father. So may we choose you above all else. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you give us the power and the strength to understand the word and then to apply it to our lives. May we do so with urgency, Lord, knowing that uh, the days are evil 
And Father, we pray that your return is soon. We ask this, holy God, in your son's precious name. Amen.